episode, I speak with communications consultant, trial attorney, and author Heather Hansen. Key points addressed were Heather's prolific career as a trial attorney and how she used that part of her life to crystallize the core tenets of her current keynote speaking and client coaching empire. We also unpacked the core principles of Heather's book titled The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself, and the importance of asking oneself the right questions and forming one's internal story and jury therein. Stay tuned for my fascinating talk with Heather Hansen. My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciacathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. and welcome back. I am your host, Patricia, and today I am elated to be sitting down with Heather Hansen. Heather is a communications consultant, trial attorney, and author. You can find out more about Heather's services as well as things that we talk about today on her website, heatherhansenpresents.com. That is H-E-A-T-H-E-R-H-A-N-S-E-N-P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S.com. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much, Patricia. I'm so excited to be here. I am too. I can't wait. I've crawled through. Your, you have a prolific amount of work that we can, we're going to get into today as we unpack your story, but um, I'm really excited about the narrative and some of the terms you use. I can't wait to kind of help um, you unpack those for our audience. For everyone listening, if you're new to the um, podcast, I will offer a quick roadmap for the trajectory in which our inquiry will be based, but, and we'll also offer a quick bio on Heather before I start peppering her with questions. So today's podcast will first look at the academic and professional history of Heather um, as leading up to launching um, her consultancy and, and kind of uh, she's this dynamic career that we'll ask her to unpack so we get garner a platform of who she is and where she's coming from. And then I want to turn straight to unpacking the services that she offers um, on the website mentioned, heatherhansonpresents.com, um, her consultancy as well as her work uh, with the law and as a, an attorney. And then I'll also ask her to unpack her book with us, um, The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself. Uh, we'll look at some of the core tenets that she presents in that book and what she's hoping her audience takes away from it. I will also look at a few um, questions we had regarding some of her YouTube tutorials or um, kind of blog-based information sections uh, that you can find online. And we'll get into some rapid-fire questions within that, just brief um, unpacking terms and things of that nature. Then we'll turn to goals that she has for the next one to three years regarding herself, her business, and things of that nature. That's an area that's changed for a lot of people in the local pandemic climate. And we'll wrap everything up with advice that she has for those of you that are looking to get involved with what she's doing 
perhaps emulate some of her career success. So a quick bio on Heather, as promised prior to asking her some questions. Heather Hansen helps her clients learn to advocate for themselves and their ideas. Heather has been a trial attorney for over 20 years and has consistently been named one of the top 50 female attorneys in Pennsylvania. She has her psychology degree, is a trained mediator and an anchor at the Law and Crime Network, Heather has appeared on NBC, Fox News Channel, CNN, MSNBC, CBS, and Sirius Radio. Heather is the CEO of Heather Hansen Presents and has helped thousands of audience members in Kuwait, Ireland, Mexico, and across the U.S. become their own best advocates. Heather is the author and bestseller of the best-selling book, The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself, which Publishers Weekly calls a template to achieving personal and career success. She is also the host of the Elegant Warrior podcast. So Heather, um, you're, you have such a dynamic um, that my favorite part about this is letting the guests kind of unpack their history themselves. I want you, if you would be so kind as to indulge me into kind of describing academic and professional history that kind of led you up to the current place you are in your life right now. I would love to. It's, it's rare that you get the opportunity to sort of look back like this. I went to American University in Washington, D.C. and majored in psychology. My plan was to be a psychologist. And then the type of psychology that I was looking into was forensic psychology, studying the criminal mind. And I thought that that would be sort of dark for an everyday thing. So I decided that try, to try to go to law school and see whether I could use my psychology degree to become a better trial lawyer. I knew from the minute that I went to law school, Patricia, that I wanted to be a trial lawyer. I wanted to stand in front of juries and present and advocate for my clients. While I was in law school, I went to Villanova Law School in, um, outside of Philadelphia. And while there, I started working at the firm where I am now a partner. So that was 94, 1994 when I started law school. And I started clerking at this firm and they defended doctors when their patients sued them. And I immediately fell in love with that type of work because it was so personal. You know, the, and other than divorce law, there's not very many other types of law where the parties on each side have touched each other and known each other and yet have such conflict with one another. And I also liked it because I have a body. And so I could relate to a knee replacement. I know what a kneecap is. And so it was very interesting to me and I loved it. So I started working there in law school, continued to work there after I graduate, and was fortunate enough to start trying cases young. That's unusual. It's hard to get your first trial. No one wants to be the test case for a young attorney. But I was fortunate that I tried a case almost within a year of passing the bar and then just started trying cases like mad and represented a host of fabulous doctors a lot of orthopedic surgeons, they deal with the bones and joints of the body. And a lot of obstetricians, they're the people who deliver babies. Um, and I loved it. And then right around, I'd say 2008, I stopped loving it as much. And I knew I didn't ever want to retire. I knew I always wanted to work. And so the question became, what will I do next? And I didn't really know. I trained to be a mediator. A mediator is someone who sort of looks at conflicts between people and helps them try to resolve them outside of the courtroom. And that was a little slow for me after the fast pace of trial work. And then I started doing speaking. And at that time, my speaking was to doctor's groups 
helping them to communicate with their patients. Because we know, studies show, that when doctors and patients communicate well, patients do better, they have better outcomes, and doctors are less likely to be sued. And I did that for a while and I loved it. And then someone saw me speaking and approached me and asked me if I'd ever want to do television. And that had always been a dream. I wanted to be Oprah. And so, of course, I said yes. And then I started doing the television legal analysis for CNN and MSNBC and Fox News Channel. And I loved that. And so for a while, I thought, well, perhaps that would be the thing. But at the same time, I was still trying cases. And I had sort of aged out of that, although I did get a fabulous job anchoring for the Law and Crime Network, as you mentioned, which is Dan Abrams, um, it's sort of the equivalent of court TV. And I love that as well. But again, similar to the reason why I didn't go full on with my psychology degree, I didn't want to do talk about rapes and murders all day, every day. Yeah. And what I really wanted to do was to help people advocate for themselves the way that I helped my clients advocate for themselves in the courtroom. Because one of the things that I learned quickly is that I was a good advocate. I could advocate for my clients. But I think my superpower was teaching the doctors and the nurses and the surgery schedulers and the techs that I represented to advocate for themselves. Because ultimately, the jury wanted to hear from them, not me. You know, they want to hear from the person who touched the patient. They don't want me to talk for that person. And I was able to teach those people how to speak to juries, how to get their points across, how to influence and persuade. And I came to the sweet spot of recognizing that that is what I do best. And if I can help people to do that for themselves, whether it's in their family lives, their personal lives, their businesses, looking for investments, that would be the most rewarding next phase of my life. And so that's primarily what I do right now. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because when you talk about your story and you can kind of see um, little, you know, breadcrumbs of your core tenants that come out, you have a lot of dialogue and rhetoric where you coach people into identifying um, what they really want, what they really want from a situation, from themselves, how to narrate that, how to change one's own interpersonal story in order to achieve that kind of confidence that then matriculates into success and things like that. And I think that it's crucial to um, kind of note that, you know, as we go through our lives, things can seem disparate, but it all kind of culminates, particularly in, in a situation like yours and this massive career. I want to turn to unpacking what you do. You've mentioned, you know, you turned into this advisory role. People saw you speak, this consultancy of really um, distilling what a, a conversation is. You parody a lot of your circumstances in the advice roles that I've seen you do in a courtroom setting. You know, the, the jury making decisions and the narrative that is explained and the questions that help develop that narrative and things of that nature. And I'm hoping that, um, we, first of all, I'd like you to unpack for us, um, Heather Hansen Presents. You have a couple of different um, services you offer on there. Um, what, you know, an audience member going to your site can expect to garner? Can people arrange a consultancy with you? And then kind of help us unpack the core constituents or the principles around um, the services offered on your site. Yeah, so it's a great question, and it's an interesting thing. As you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, so many of our lives have changed in the wake of the current pandemic. So if you had asked me that question three months ago, it would be a very different answer. Three months ago, the majority of my work, I still practice law. I still have some clients that I try cases for, but the majority of my work would have been keynote speaking. 
I had eight keynotes uh, planned for the summer. I was going to be in on a cruise for Dress for Success, doing a keynote for some of their women in May. I was going to be in Dubai in the fall, and I had a host of other keynotes over the course of the summer, and they all were canceled or changed to virtual. I'm doing a couple of those virtually. And so the question then became, do I really want to have my career be virtual keynotes? And some people do. I love doing television, but the thing that's so great for me in keynotes is the interaction. I do interacting with the audience. I go down into the audience and I talk to them and I work with them. And I would miss that so much out of the now virtual keynotes. So my business has really shifted into doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one consulting, coaching, whatever it is that you want to call it, on how to best advocate for yourself. And that looks a whole lot of different ways. Right now, I have one client who is making a huge presentation next week. And the work that we're doing together is to help her to persuade the people she's presenting to. I call those people her jury. Because for me, Patricia, a jury is anyone that you want to persuade or influence. So for us right now, our jury is the listeners. They decide whether or not they are going to accept our story, accept what we're telling them. And sometimes your jury could be your investors, your clients, your customers. If you're a doctor, it's your patients. If you're a teacher, it's your students. Yeah. So for this woman who I'm helping with this presentation, we're working on how she can best present to her jury next week. But I also have some clients that I would call typical life coach clients. And with them, we work on the inner jury. I believe that all of us have an inner decider, the, person, the part of you that chooses whether you are choosing between fear and faith or abundance and scarcity or mistake or discovery and how can you help that inner jury make decisions that are going to serve you so quite a few of my clients are life coach clients and we work on that in the aspects of their personal lives their career lives their contributions their love lives um, money all of those things and I do still have some corporate clients who I do workshops with. I just did a workshop last week for the women at Google um, talking a little bit about the inner jury because these, I think that more and more businesses are recognizing that if their teams aren't healthy individuals, it's not going to be a healthy team, especially in light of everything that's going on. So my one-on-one -on -one coaching has shot through the roof. The keynotes have decreased. And I'm loving the work that I'm doing and the results that I'm seeing with my clients. Yeah, absolutely. Is it changing some of the, the narrative of where you're finding like your next generation of tools that you'll be advising with to go to this one-on-one -on -one specter? It's, you're going to garner different information, you know, and while the presentation of the keynotes and the enigmaticness of the, you know, Brene Brown crowds and things like that are fantastic. It's, I think it's a different dynamic, right? You're reaping other information. Do you think it will change and has it already started to change your future generation of tools? If, for sure. It, it, I, I think it's the same tools. So I'm working on the next book and it's the same tools, but I'm seeing them work outside the courtroom. So in the, in the first book, you saw, as you mentioned, a lot of stories from the courtroom because that was my life. I mean, I was all in on trials. And so I tell stories in every chapter about a courtroom situation that happened that illustrates the story. In this book, you'll see that, but you'll also see stories of my coaching clients and how tools like evidence can apply to someone who is applying for a raise evidence of her value 
so that she can get that raise. So I think the tools are staying the same thus far, and, and, it's, and it's a new change, so ask me in a year and maybe that won't be the case. But for me, the tools are the same, but the impl implementation of them has been a little bit different, and I think it will continue to be so. So as I'm writing this book, I see a lot of stories about how my coaching clients have used them outside of the courtroom. Absolutely. And I like that. I think that it's it's a cool narrative. I liked the book's premise of, of using that. It was engaging even just as a, a layperson, you know, reading at the courtroom and the enigmatic nature, but pe how people analyze the courtroom. You know, it's, it's wonderful to hear from actual attorneys rather than just writers writing about attorneys. Yeah. <laughs> there and it brings a reality to it. I want to get into um, so there's some elements in your book but also just how you are currently defining them. You talk a lot about staying true to one's principles and kind of negotiating and the title of the book The Elegant Warrior How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself kind of speaks to this premise of one's own personal principles and you yourself being able to do that. Is the first step in, in starting some of your processes identifying one's core principles or do you think that they are like a universal ethic, like axiomatic truths within all of us? I think they're a choice. I think that, I would love to think that we all have a core of compassion that is most important to us and kindness, but I think that not everyone chooses that for every situation and I think that part of, you know, the root of the word elegance is to choose. And so I believe that you make choices every day that become the fabric of your life. And when I'm, when I'm coaching someone on how to advocate for themselves, we have to decide what do you want? And for women especially, that can be a struggle. Just simply saying what they want you know, one of the things I, I, there's a meditation I often send my clients to that says, I, I know what I want, because so many people don't, they know what their partners want, they know what their families want, they know what their bosses want, they know what their team members want, but to actually own what they want and be comfortable voicing that, sometimes that itself is hard. And so that is, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be in this situation? In The Elegant Warrior, I tell the story of um, a difficult case that I had where I had this, this patient who was definitely hurting, and yet my job is to take that patient's story away. And how do you ride that tightrope? And I always want to be compassionate and kind, even if I have to take a patient's story, I never wanted to take their dignity. So that is something that I knew that I wanted. But it was harder for me, I'll be honest with you, Patricia, it was much harder for me to admit that I wanted to step away from the law. That has been a huge process. It didn't come easily. You know, I, I identified so thoroughly as a trial lawyer that to now be willing to say to you in this podcast, I want to be a coach, that's a huge step. And so I think many women struggle with really owning what they want and admitting it to themselves and then admitting it to others. And that's some of the work that I, that I help them to do. Yeah, I'm curious about that kind of triage process, the intake forms or something like that. When, you, when people talk about being coaches, my mind kind of spins because there's just so many different areas. And even if you have these aspects of, we're gonna help you identify your want, we're gonna help you talk about these terms, we're gonna talk about the inner jury, jury, things of that nature. Do you have a process where when someone comes to you for one-on-one -on -one coaching that you put them through, how do you yourself kind of develop the right structure for the right individual? It's so individual. 
So in my, in my initial consulting call, which is free, and it's just an opportunity for us to get to know one another, I go through a number of different life aspects. So I talk to them about their career, their home, and their home, both their family and their surroundings. Our surroundings, our home is so important to who we are and how we function in the world. So we talk about that. We talk about love relationships. We talk about money. We talk about um, I think I already mentioned family. There's a number of things and they sort of scale them on one to 10. And then they guide it from there. They tell me where they want to go. So some people will say, I'm coming to you because I am struggling with my partner and setting boundaries in our relationship. And I want to be able to advocate for myself in that way. Well, that's a very different coaching process than someone who wants to present to a jury of investors. And it is, it is similar work. You know, the work is to, I always say you can't advocate until you believe. So the first part of the work is always to help the client believe in her or himself and what it is that they're advocating for, and then to figure out their outer jury and help the outer jury believe. But even those people that think they're coming to me just because they're making a pitch to investors, we start with how strongly do you believe is your inner jury 100% on board with this? And where is there any doubt? Because until we, we've, you know, we really have picked apart and made it as clear as possible that you are 100% in belief, that makes advocating to the outer jury so much easier. So there's an aspect of that psychology degree that I have that is inherent in the work I do with every single one of my clients. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, if I would be so bold as to say from observation after looking and doing a deep dive into your work, I feel like a lot of your superpower as well and extended is kind of being able to identify where people need to be asking the right questions. You know, what I love about what you do is you, at least not what you're posturing with your information is that um, you're enabling people to find their answer. You know, there isn't this, I've got the answer for you. It's you need to start asking yourself the right questions and it's there. You can def discover it about yourself. You couldn't be more right. I, I just believe questions are magic. You know, I always say to people, when I tell people I'm a trial lawyer in the past, they would often say, oh, I should have been a trial lawyer. I'm really good at arguing. But the truth is that argument is a very small fraction of what we do in the courtroom. During the opening, that is an, an opening statement. It's not an argument and it's meant to be an outline, sort of like what you do at the beginning of your podcast. You outline what your audience is to expect. And that's what you do in the opening. And then at the end of our trials, we lawyers get to do a closing argument. And that's where we argue. But the rest of the case, Patricia, sometimes for weeks, all that we do is ask questions. And questions are so powerful. And so you're right. I, as a coach, feel like my job is to ask questions. I'm not there to give them the answers. They have the answers. I'm just there to help them see their thoughts and find the answers within those thoughts. And, and more importantly, find the answers that serve them. Because so often we repeat thoughts that don't serve us and we think that they're true, when in reality, it's really just an opinion, it's not a fact. And there's another thought that might serve us better. And I wanna kind of cover that in a recent YouTube posting that you do, and you've been pretty good about posting, I think every two weeks or so. And I like the bite size kind of two to three minutes, just a quick and two to three points, you know, um, that's very well designed and orchestrated, but it's very fast and easily digestible. One of the most recent ones that you did that kind of caught my eye was you talked about um, 
the, the inner jury and the voice between two concepts such as faith or fear, faith and fear or um, depletion versus, you know, um, acceptance and excess or different, you talked about a different story narrative that you could select. And um, you mentioned knowing um, like how the concept of that doesn't appear conscious. It feels as though we do it subconsciously and bringing that into a consciousness is an ability to actually change the narrative. You parody these beautiful sunglasses and this inner dialogue you wanted to have to make it a positive experience that you lost them and things of that nature. But um, I'm wondering how do you bring it to, because you're talking about something that most likely exists for people on a subconscious level. You, you talk about that there's this choice that a lot of people aren't making which is, you know, choosing between two different narratives that could play out in your line and, and you kind of parody this with the law and, and, and the different jury, the inner jury choice of, you know, which one are you going to choose? Can you kind of speak more to that and the choice and how you help people? I Do I like it, a trigger or an identifying factor to suddenly take that moment and make a different choice? Yeah, it's so fascinating. And the best, the best analogy that I can give that often makes people have an aha moment is in the courtroom. So in my cases, I defend doctors when their patients sue them. So the doctor and the patient went through the same experience and the patient may have been asleep for some of that experience, right? If they had surgery, but other than that, they had the exact same experience and it's the same set of facts that each side has in the courtroom. And yet every witness gets up, swears to tell the truth, looks at the jury and tells a different story. Mm -hmm. And after years of this, you start to recognize that the truth becomes what the jury chooses as the truth. And you start to realize that truth is not as definitive as many of us like to think. That facts are facts, yes. I mean, the earth is round. There are certain things that are facts. And yet a lot of what we consider to be facts are actually just the stories that we tell ourselves. And so then can you question that story and how well does that story serve you? And for me, for my clients, I just want them to see that there might be a story that serves them better. So for example, I had a client today and she said, I failed. Now, that is not a fact. She was convinced it was. And sometimes it takes multiple sessions to sort of see that that's a story I've failed is simply a story that she's told herself. The story could also be, I've discovered that doesn't work. And that will lead me to perhaps what does work. The story could also be, I have gotten one step closer to the answer. The story could also be, I've grown as a woman because I've seen that I can take a setback and continue to rise and be resilient. There are a million stories that I could present, but it's not my job to present the, the thoughts to the stories to my clients. It's our job together to create a story that they can believe. Because if I give them a story and they don't believe it, it won't serve them. So we work together to find another story, and then we work to find the evidence that will support that story. So I'll give you another example. Yesterday in writing my book, my computer crashed and I lost two chapters of the, the new book. And I was all the things you would imagine, Patricia. I was freaking out, I was in tears, I was mad, I was blaming myself. You know, you, you beat yourself up and say, you know, I'm terrible with technology, why don't I save? And then you start to blame the editor who told you to put it in this and you wanted to put it in that. And that doesn't serve me. It, it's not, it's time not well spent and it's thoughts not well spent. So with my coaching clients, that's in the back of my mind and I'm not at my best and I'm distracted and I'm frustrated. And so I had to choose another story. The story I chose was that the work that I lost was not my best work. And now that it's had more time to percolate, 
as I rewrite those chapters today and tomorrow and the rest of this week, it's going to be an even better product. Now, some people would say, well, that's delusional. Perhaps, but it serves me. What's the alternative? For me to tell myself that I lost this work that I can never recover? But if I tell myself that story enough and give myself evidence of it enough that I truly believe it, it improves my mood, it makes me excited to rewrite the chapters, and it's going to make them better. So I think that sometimes we need to recognize that choosing the story that makes you feel better um, can serve you and the people around you in a very big way. Yeah. Do you find, what are like some of the key areas that you find are most difficult for your clients to kind of enact this? Because it sounds like that's one of the stepping stones to like climbing into identifying the questions you want to have and really like really starting to reform any issue areas in your life. Um, What are some of the key points you found at least in your history with your clients that have been the biggest preventing factors? I think that there's so much self-criticism. So one of my most popular workshops is Your Toughest Jury Is You. And people clamor to come to that because they know that, and I've actually changed the title to When Your Toughest Jury Is You, because I don't believe your inner jury is there to judge you. I believe she is there to choose. And so you just got to give her a better choice. But I think the thing that holds us back is this feeling of control that we need to control the world and that we do control the world and that everything is personal and every and you know if you're familiar with the four agreements that fabulous little book and one of the agreements is not to take things personally we think everything is about us and so it's funny um with some of my clients it goes from everything's my fault and then when i say well can we choose a different thought it's well everything's that person's fault And then we need to, then we keep going, right? And then we choose another thought where we're not looking to blame, but to create something that's exciting and positive and forward looking. But I think the thing that holds us back is this idea that we are responsible for everything in our world and that we can control things that we just can't. And I struggle with that as well, but we all can find a way to overcome it a little bit if we start to just question the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You, um, I'm wondering with that, like the questions and developing, is there a bad question? One can, is there a road you can start going down where questions can be used? You know, you have this, this magical idea about questions and power of them. And, and is there a way that that can be flipped on its head and people can go down a course that isn't working with the wrong questions? So this is not my thought. So I, it, I've thought a lot about this thought, but it's Judge Rosemary Aquilina. Um, she, I featured her in my book. I've had her on my podcast. She was the judge for the Larry Nasser um, trial. He was the gymnast doctor who molested all of those women. And Judge Aquilina um, blew me away. Blew me away. I was an anchor at the Law and Crime Network, so I had to watch that every day, and it was hard for me to watch. But I wanted to have her on my podcast, and I'm going to go off on a little tangent, but I am going to answer your question. Yeah. The reason I was so impressed with her is because at the beginning of that hearing, only a handful of women planned to come forward and tell their stories. And the majority of them did not want their names to be told. And by the end of that hearing, over 100 women came forward and the majority of them used their names. And I attributed it to a question slash request that she used. She didn't say, why are you here? Tell me what I need to know. What happened to you? She said, tell me what you want me to know. 
She put the power in that person's hands. And so I think that that is so powerful. That's a that's an example of a fabulous question or request. You can use that with your children. You can use that with your partner so that it makes it about them and they get to tell their story. Now I've become friends with Judge Aquilina and we talk quite a bit and we were talking about questions. And one of the things that she said that has had me thinking ever since is she's not a big fan of the question why. And I've read Simon Sinek's work and I, so I know, you know, start with why and we want to know why. But she believes, and I can totally understand this, when you ask people, say, your children, or in her cases, women who have been assaulted, why were you walking on that street? Why were you wearing that dress? Why did you go out with that man? Why didn't you say no? It puts the person who's answering on the defensive. And so I do think when we ask why questions, we, we should be very aware of how we're asking them and who we're asking them of. If you're asking them of a friend, I'm putting air quotes here, a friendly witness, I think it's okay. If it's someone that you knows you're on their side and you're together trying or asking them of yourself, I think why questions can be good. But you wanna be careful when you're asking why of your children or your spouse, because I do think it's a question that can put people on the defensive. You know, we, we don't say, how did you gain weight? We say, why did you gain weight? And it becomes defensive. But we will say, how did you lose weight? So I think sometimes if you're thinking about questions, try to see what happens if you trade why for how and see if that opens things up a little bit and makes it a question that puts the person you're asking a little less on the defense. Does that go for oneself as well? I, I think it depends on, on what you're questioning about, Patricia. I mean, there are times when if you're being strategic or doing thought downloads about your business or trying to make plans for the next year and you want to think, well, why do I want this? Why is this important to me? I think that's okay. But I think that if you're trying to, if you're feeling self-critical and you're struggling with that inner jury, why probably isn't a great question for you either. And you might want to start with, how can I feel better? How could I do this differently? Rather than why did I do it that way? How could I do this differently? What made me feel like I had to do it that way? And a lot of it is play. You know, I tell all my clients, this is meant to be fun. You know, it's meant to be fun. Let's play with the question. Which, how does that question make you feel? Where do you feel it? And does this question make you feel better? And for different, different clients, it's different. You know, some, some clients like the why. Scientists like to play with the why because they're big on the why. But my creatives, they like to play with the how because they're big on the how. And I think that that's why the work is so individual because we all come to it with different stories. And we want to sort of dive in and make it fun and not something, not yet another thing that they're going to criticize themselves about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that that term, at least, you know, kind of playing around with things and making it more fun for oneself on an interpersonal level, there's a lot of tension and fear around unpacking things, even for the healthiest of person. And so to be a little bit more fluid and relaxed with it in that nature sounds like it's going to yield more results. Um, and my final line of question, um, I want to find out a little bit, you talk about becoming very clear on what you want. And I think this is very um, good advice, but very, very easily said rather than done. Because clarity and inner jury, inner dialogue for people, particularly the more 
prolific the person, I think, the more convoluted with narratives of what one ought to be, what one expected of oneself, things of that nature. And I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to maybe the top three can core um, points or principles about obtaining clarity or beginning the path to clarity as to what you really want, as opposed to all of the other things that could be, you know, hiding in disguise of what you think you want. It's a great question. And, and it's, um, there's exercises you have to do. So I don't know if you've ever heard of morning pages, which is um, Julia Cameron wrote a book called The Writer's Way. And she does the two, two full pages of just writing in the morning. And I recommend asking yourself the question, what do I want? You have to do it in the morning. And then just writing two pages full of what you want to start to give yourself the sense of all of the things that are available to you. Another question that I often ask my clients to ask themselves is what delights you? And don't think too much about it, just start writing. Because that word delight sort of fills us with a different type. You know, when you say, what do you want? I'm like, well, I want a, a, a prolific coaching practice. I want to serve. You know, it sort of is more grounded. What delights me? My parents' puppy, swimming in the ocean, surfing, just like you. You know, there's all, all these things that delight you that you might not have even occurred to you that they can also be perhaps part of what you want. I often ask my clients, when do you feel most at, in flow? What are you doing when you feel most in flow? What, you know, and flow is that state where time goes by and you don't recognize the time has gone by. I also often ask them, what did you love doing as a kid when you were at play? And that often will sort of inform us as to what you want. Because you're right, when you just simply say, well, what do I want? Your parents' voices come in, your law partner's voices come in, your clients' voices come in, your partner's voices come in. So there's different questions that you can use as prompts to sort of discover what you want. And it's a discovery. You know, it's like, it's like searching, panning for gold. It's not just going to be sitting there waiting for you. You have to have the patience to sort of explore and be willing to shift a little bit and go in different directions until you sort of find it. And also know that it changes. If you had asked me 15 years ago, I would have thought that I would be working at my firm until I could no longer work. And that's what I wanted. But it's changed since then. And I think that we need to be willing to allow those changes to happen and not to be afraid of them. Yeah, especially with identifying. Um, the, I speak with a, a ton of prolific um, and powerful professional women, women identified and non-binary individuals. And the higher up the chain, the, the more difficult the you know, re-identifying with another field becomes. Career and success is very much so intertwined in things that, you know, and, and well fought for being the underdog, you know, that to let go of that and pivot in later life, it, um, it takes a great deal of courage from what I've seen. Um, and a, a belief that happiness is is going to outweigh, you know, that identifiable factor. Um, I want to turn before we wrap up. I want to turn towards your podcast as a as a, a podcaster myself, um, and to all of my fellow podcasters out there. Um, I speak a lot about a lot of the logistics of podcasts and um, people who are looking for advice. And yours does it so well because it's very, for me at least, um, and the way I conduct mine, it's easy to follow. Your curation seems thoughtful, and I want you to, if you would be so kind, as to kind of elaborate on that. So when was it launched? How many do you put out, um, a week or month? And um, what was the premise and the impetus for the launch? So the podcast started, it'll be two years in October. So 2018 is when it began. And I started it for, well, I had wanted a podcast for years. 
um, I loved podcasts, and I, but I had no idea where to begin with the technology. You know, I didn't know where it went in the cloud, and I, that is not my strong suit at all. And I found a studio in New York City where I just could walk into the room, record the podcast. It's, it's called Gotham Podcast Studio. They're wonderful there. Walk in, record the podcast, and then walk out, and they did everything for me. So that was definitely a step in the right direction. And then knowing that I had my book coming out in April, I thought it was a good time to start to hopefully build an audience that would perhaps then engage around the book. So I started it. And one of the biggest gifts for me of podcasting, Patricia, is that people who otherwise you may not ever talk to, you can approach and say, would you be willing to have a conversation with me? So a perfect example is Judge Aquilina. I had seen her. I had so much respect for her. But she had won Glamour Woman of the Year that year, and Vanity Fair Woman of the Year that year. And, and now that I know her, I know that she probably would have engaged with me either way. But I reached out to her and asked her to come on the podcast. And she was nice enough to say yes. And now she's become a friend. And that has been such a gift of the podcast. So many of my guests are now some of my closest friends. But also, I'm a voracious reader, and so I reach out to a lot of authors and say, I've read your book. You know, BJ Fogg wrote Tiny Habits. I loved it, he came on. Nir Eyal wrote Indistractable. I loved it, he came on. Um, Petra Kolber wrote The Perfection Detox. I loved it, and she came on. So that's been a gift as well. The podcast has, has had some changes. It used to be, it was once a week, and then I got a lot of feedback that people wanted more of my thought leadership, the stuff that I do with coaching. So then I started doing twice a week. I would do Mondays with the guests and then Thursdays, just a little short episode of just me. And then I wasn't sure I was going to be able to maintain that. And one of the things that I think is important with podcasting and any content creation is consistency. So yeah. if I couldn't maintain it, I didn't want to be like one Thursday and then not the next so I decided to stop with that and intersperse more of my thoughts on the Monday on the guest podcast and um, continue to do that. So it will be two years of every Monday uh, in October. And it's, I love it. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't trust any, um, anyone who's in the coaching profession or advisory roles at all that aren't giving a ton of advice out there for free, not just personal branding aside, you know, but um, the, we're in the beautiful thing with the advent of social media was this space to, you know, self-market um, the draconian idea that we hold knowledge, you know, captive until someone buys into us is so ridiculous. And I think that with the advent of social media, it kind of broke that open and allowed people to kind of service in this really benevolent way. And, um, and I think you do that so beautifully, you know, you have so many of your core tenants, but I still see, um, I, I see your schedule is chock full of, of people wanting to work with you on a more interpersonal level. And I think that people become um, confirmed that they need to do that when you get all of that information out there. And so I really love it. And I, again, I think your podcast is fabulous. People should check it out. I, it's, I neglected to say it's called the Elegant Warrior Podcast. And um, I've really appreciated listening to the episodes. I think they're great. And I also want to tell everyone who's listening, um, again, your YouTube shorts, you can, you know, Google Heather Hansen and, um, and pull up her shorts. But I think that they're wonderful, bite size. Um, it's ambitious. You know, I think to, to parse anything down to two minutes as, as an academic, I, I'm like, no, it's got to be 700 words or more. <laughs> 
room to play with, you know, I need that. And so it's, it's great. And they're very clear and they're authentic and transparent. I really do appreciate your voice on all of them, I have to say. Um, and I want to turn now towards asking if um, you would be so kind as to tell us about some of your goals. I love asking coaches this because, you know, you help so many people crystallize and understand their goals and their inner narrative. And I'm wondering for you personally, if you've looked at the next one to three years, you've alluded to it earlier in the hour where you talked about the pandemic really ch changing your career narrative personally yourself. But do you have goals that you've set now for, do you do one to three year goals for yourself or do you wait until the year comes upon you? And if so, what does it look like now? It's so interesting. So every um, year right around New Year's, a group of friends and I get together and we do vision boards and they always make fun of me, Patricia, because I have so much white space on my vision board. And I always say, God, the universe has bigger plans for me than I have for myself. I heard Oprah say that once. And that's how I always feel like so many things have happened. I never would have imagined someone would approach me about television. I never could have imagined that to be something that was within my reach living in Philadelphia and in my forties. And so I don't tend to create one year, three year goals. I tend to have things I want to do. So I want to write this other book. The, the next book is um, it's in the editing stage. The editor and I are going back and forth and this book is going to be, I think it's going to be called advocate with elegance, 10 tools to help you advocate for yourself and win. Um, so one of my goals is to finish that book. Another goal is to build the coaching business and help as many people as I can with that business to become their own best advocates, because I think too many people want to farm that out to someone else. And I think everyone, there's no one better suited to advocate than you. Um, and then I, you know, the, the rest of my goals are just simply to continue to be a good friend, a good sister, a good daughter. You know, it's uh, all of those things become more important in the wake of COVID and everything that we've seen in the past year. But I don't, I, I can't look five years ahead. I have no idea where I'll even live, much less what I'll be doing. It's very open. It's, it's, it's you're taking a lot of faith in, in the unknown. I like that, that kind of take on it, particularly coming from someone who gets very clear about, you know, processes and things like that. It's a good um, juxtaposition, I think, between your philosophies. Um, we are, so we're at the end of our, the podcast and uh, we wrap up with my final question. Um, it's my favorite and especially with someone like yourself who spends her life giving advice, you know, and um, kind of really questioning her own advice. I'm wondering if you walked up to someone, um, someone walked up to you at a safe, safe social distance in a gardener park tomorrow and said, Heather, listen, we've got a friend in common. I'm so glad I found you. Um, they said, they said, ask straight to you. I've this prolific law career. I've been advising on a lot of different levels, not just um, in, in, in trial um, attorney, but I've done so many other forms of research. I have these other psych degrees. I love all sorts of things. And I think now I'm getting ready to launch out and coach and maybe um, launch this book that I'm doing and, and start some of these other endeavors. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual knowing what you know now? I think the first piece of advice would be, you are your own best advocate. So, so often we try to hire someone to do your PR or to um, market you or to sell your coaching services or to help you write the book. And I think that we tend to think, women especially tend to think that someone else knows more than we do. And the truth is that you probably know as much as anyone else does. And if not, you can figure it out. And ultimately, you are the one who is responsible for your success. 
So I, I believe in hiring the right experts, but I also think that when we do so, we should also know what they're doing and how they're doing it because you can always add your heart, your experience, your talents to that endeavor to make it even better. So that's the first piece of advice that I would give them. The second piece of advice is just not to, not to quit. You know, I think that most of the people in, in the fields where, like writing the book, I know so many people who tell me I would like to write a book and they've started or they have an outline, but they just haven't sat down and done it. And it is the discipline to just keep going. You know, when I found out two chapters were lost, Patricia, I could have just been like, oh, forget it, you know, and that's a temptation, believe me. But, yeah. you know, you've just got to get up every day and just say, I'm not going to stop until this is done. And I think that those are, you know, you, I, I keep thinking of that um, cartoon of the guy who's like chipping away to try to get to gold and he turns around just inches away from the gold because he's given up. I always believe that it, the, the thing that you're searching for is just over the next hill. And so my second piece of advice would be just keep going. And my third piece of advice is to choose your thoughts carefully. You know, it is easy to believe the negative. Our lizard brain, the part of us that's there to protect us, tells us negative things. That's scary. That's dangerous. Don't step out of the tribe. You might get shot or killed or eaten. And that part of the brain was there to serve us eons ago. But now you can choose other thoughts and you can play with them and see what serves you. So, you know, the thought I should just quit, see if there's another thought that will serve you and recognize that the thoughts that you're thinking may be a story. And imagine that you're in the courtroom. What's another story that someone on the other side might be saying? And is that story going to get you to your goal a little bit faster and a little bit more happily? I love that. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting um, exercise as to play around with. When I read it and I was looking through your work, it was one of my um, more amusing things to do, you know, as I contemplated you and your success. All right. So I have, you're your own best advocate and stay that way. Uh, number two, don't quit. And number three, choose the narrative and thought that serves you best and go with that. Perfect. Love those. Heather, that's awesome. Thank you so much. We're out of time, but I love talking with you today. I'm disappointed our hour is up, but um, I thank you so much. I know you're busy. Everyone is at once at home, but incredibly busy. And you seem to be like the prime example of that. So thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me and for such a thoughtful podcast. I love it. Absolutely. For everyone listening, we've been speaking with Heather Hansen. She's a communications consultant, trial attorney, and author. You can find out more about everything that she's doing, her book and her podcast on her website, heatherhansenpresents.com. Thank you for giving me and us your time today. And until we speak again next time, remember to stay safe and always bet on yourself. Sláinte.